We will employ an exciting, fast, explosive, and diverse offense combined with a physical, punishing, relentless, suffocating defense. Purdy rolls right, looking to throw. Benito gives chase, comes back left. Purdy still looking, sets up, balls loose, rolling around in Iowa State territory. Redmond picked it up. Redmond on the run. Redmond scores. Oh, mama. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host today, Kamir Amrabian, joined by Stephen Brown. Stephen, we are just fresh off of watching the USC Tulane game, in which the <laughs> Green Wave come away with a win over Lincoln Riley. Uh, I mean, he they, uh, they, they beat Tulane twice, one which is supposed to be in New Orleans, but there was a hurricane. Um, but couldn't get past them that third time. Um, and uh, yeah, Caleb Williams, they, the camera panned to him several times, kind of throwing a fit on the sideline. And uh, that was a, it, it's, it's been a good, good bowl season, good bowl season, right? It's a good start to 2023. And uh, just touching on the USC game, uh, it's like all the concerns we had about Lincoln Riley and Benny Wiley all just showed up today. So it's it's a lot of vindication for Oklahoma fans. And USC's defense has been bad all year, and they right. weren't supposed they were they weren't supposed to be a good defense in general. Um, I can imagine that they're going to get a ton of transfers, and they're going to recruit their butts off because they're USC, and they are more uh, transactional as far as being able to get those players on defense. So if they were to rebuild that defense and not fire Alex Grinch, even though a lot of people have alluded to it, uh, like as far as like why Lincoln Riley wouldn't fire, fire Alex Grinch. I could, I feel like USC could be a very quick turnaround. Like you just saw, like they were, I mean, they were a half away from going to the college football playoff until Utah just dump trucked them. And then they got dump trucked again on national TV. Um, right. against Tulane. So that's just interesting. But anyways, enough about Lincoln Riley. Let's talk about some OU stuff. There's guys staying. The guys just announced this week. Uh, you got, you got some uh, bowl game talk, a little bit of that, some coaching stuff, some portal recruiting, and just some randoms. So let's go ahead and get started. Isaiah Coe uh, and Woody Washington are both they both just announced like within hours of each other they both announced they're coming back for the their last year and in norman along with drake stoops which had already been acknowledged weeks earlier by his dad on on his own youtube channel which drake said that he didn't even know bob had a youtube channel uh stogner's coming back to oklahoma and farouk you assume that is also gonna come back and so now you wait on Marvin Mims and with these guys coming back, does that signal anything to you as far as Mims and his possible return, which Not Mims was really. in Mims was in attendance for that USC Tulane game per his Instagram today. Oh gosh. Is he really? Yep. 50 yard line. Oof. Well, I mean, I don't think it really moves the needle for Mims at all. I think he still has a decision on his hands. Again, like if I was Mims, I would just cut my losses, go to the NFL, try to earn some money there. But, um, you know, I think someone is insinuated today, if he leaves Oklahoma, it's like, why did you have to leave Oklahoma to, 
raise your draft stock. Like the, the you've produced Marquise Brown, you've produced uh, C.D. Lamb in recent years, Mark Andrews. You, you've produced a, a couple of really good pass catchers. Um, so why why did you have to leave that situation? So I think he should just cut his losses. I think he would still be what a fourth, fifth round draft pick in this year's draft. Uh, yep. But I don't think Woody Washington or Isaiah Coe signals anything as far as Mims future. I think that's fair, right? Um, and, and speaking to Mims, I mean, they show the graphic. A lot of people take kind of Mims for granted a little bit. They show the graphic as far as where he's at, where he ranks as far as sooner wide receivers. And the man is top 10 uh, as far as production. Of course, nobody he has, and, and nobody's going to catch Ryan Broyles. I think Ryan Broyles has, has, it has like 46 total touchdowns, which it, nobody really <laughs> comes close I think somebody comes within 10, um, but I mean, everybody else has around 20 uh, touchdowns and such and boils is up there. But yeah, Marvin Mims is up there as far as production wise, receptions, yardage, et cetera, because he's had great years. Every single year has been really with the Sooners. And so going on that, let's say he does come back next year. Um, and you have Drake Stoops, you have Farouk, you have Marvin Mims, you have Austin Stogner, you have the young guys uh, that are a year older, you have Jaquez Petaway, uh, and you have all those guys back. How important is that? Like, as far as Mims, does he move the needle next year? As for as far as a as far as a win, does does he does he make your team one win better? Yeah, I think he moves the needle a little bit. I don't think it's going to change your season by a ton, but yeah, maybe he shows up in one or two big games, gets you a win there, uh, makes you either bowl eligible or you know you go into an NY six bowl, something like that. Um, but at the same time, I don't think I want to tread lightly on this because I think Mims is a very talented receiver. I don't think he's irreplaceable at the same time. So I think you could go with like a Farouk, or you could do it by committee. Um, that production is going to come from somewhere. Um, but bringing back Mims, obviously, would be a big deal for Oklahoma. And, I mean, I agree. I th- I think I look at Mims, who has been making all the difficult catches for Oklahoma over the last three years. I uh, mean, Mims and Braden Willis, which yeah, you're losing and, Braden like, Willis. And especially the most difficult, like, gravity-defying catches, it's Marvin Mims. It's the guy that makes the tough all the tough catches. And, then, like, to your credit, like you said, that that warrants something. I mean, he made a couple of really awesome catches in the in the Cheez It Bowl against Florida State. Yeah, in Tech against Tech, he had that behind the oh, back yeah. catch. So I mean, there's there's value to him, but at the same time, if he moves on, I don't think it's really going to sink Oklahoma at all. And Oklahoma just hosted an, another wide receiver, um, and we'll talk about that a little bit uh, later. The wide receiver from South Florida. Uh, the running backs we saw in the cheese it bowl against Florida state where they had no opt outs in Oklahoma had an interesting display on the offensive line. Uh, Jacob Sexton actually went out early for that game. Uh, but you had Savion Burden there. Uh, McKay Matower, who I think I'm pretty sure is coming back for another year. He's an only redshirt junior. Uh, Correct. You have Robert Congel, who's obviously on his way out. You had Harrison uh, in there in Parks. Uh, and you saw two running backs. And you saw Javante Barnes, who could be 
really, really special. He's the guy that is able to read. Uh, he kind of pauses before he makes that burst step uh, right into the line of scrimmage or a hole. Uh, and then you saw Gavin Sawchuk, not in a glimpse, but on full display for the first time. And he got extensive carries, obviously, he because he's one of the only other scholarship running backs they had. And only one blemish on that game for him, that fumble, which... Could have been something really, really special for Oklahoma. Uh, but again, it shouldn't come down to a true freshman putting the ball on the floor. W- what do you think about these running backs for the future? I mean, like, Oklahoma already has two coming in that are pretty good. And then you already have Javante Warren and Gavin Sawchuk telling, showing you what they just showed you against a pretty decent Florida State team. Yeah, up front, Florida State's one of the more impressive defensive fronts um, you'll see in the country. Uh but yeah, they've one of the best pairing of running backs Oklahoma's had since. I mean, you could say like maybe Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon, but I would say Mixon and Pirine. Um, it's just a very nice you, blend of both. Both are pretty fast, but um, yeah. they have their own you know kind of unique styles of run. It feels very Trey Sermon and Rodney Anderson to me, but except Gavin Sawchuk has a lot more wiggle than Rodney Anderson did. And I would add, I mean, Javante Barnes is a much more decisive runner than Trey Sermon, um, especially towards the end of Trey Sermon's career. So Yeah, I was about to say, like, if you compare early Trey Sermon. Right. He would just two, two different backs people. There. Yeah, it was weird. But Javante Barnes is a very decisive runner. Gavin Sawchuk, obviously, if you give him some open grass, he's going to take it, you know, 20, 30 yards. So uh, I would say DeMarco Murray has found a very, very good uh, pair of running backs and they're adding some others, who is another – very electric player and Caleb Hicks is another kind of like Javante Barnes is going to play a lot more physical. And I mean, just for the future of the entire running back room, you go from having a lot of doubts, right? Uh, A lot of like you had all these running backs. Then you get to Eric Gray and Marcus major. And people are like, Oh man, that running back room looks bad. And you're going to see Javante Barnes, maybe <laughs> the running back one by the end of the year. A lot of people thought that uh, at the beginning of this football season that just ended for Oklahoma. And now you look forward into the future for Oklahoma running back room. And you see Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk in a different, different light along with, uh, what you see with the guys that are incoming that you expect Dalen Smothers, like you just said, to maybe contribute a little bit earlier than expected and others going on as well. And so I think that I think it speaks to DeMarco Murray, first of all, just like holding these two guys down while Lincoln Riley made his exit, holding these two guys down with their with their commitment and letter of intent that made it to Norman and what he's bringing in as well. Like, I think DeMarco Murray is starting to get those notches on his belt in those stars in the running back room and might require an elevated name change or description change of his job to get this man more cash, if you will. I mean, do you think that would warrant that? I mean... Yeah, you could do, like, a running game coordinator or something like that, but at the same time, DeMarco Murray, I don't think it's going to be hurting for cash too often. Um Mostly it's trying to get him up the recruiting ladder because I think he would eventually want to become an offensive coordinator or, you know, potentially a head coach, something like that. So um, I think the name is more valuable than the actual salary. 
I don't think that's fair because he's still marketable. He's still marketable. I mean, like him and Jay Valai probably go work out together. And like if him and Jay Valai show up to some, but some recruits door, like, yeah, we're the coaches for the Oklahoma staff. I mean, it's very hard to say no to guys that have real life, like NFL experience in real life that, and they are both still young and very in tune with that. And so kind of pivoting towards, you know, Jay Valai and the defensive side of things, Oklahoma had two recruiters, according to top uh, two, uh, 247, two top 15 recruiters. Uh, both were defensive side, Jay Valai and, and Brandon Hall, uh, just because of, you know, the amount of work they did in the secondary. And so looking at this defense, I mean, yeah, you saw mistakes in the bowl game. You saw the same mistakes that you typically saw with Oklahoma. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the defense in general, what is your general vibe? As, aside from the defensive line, aside from the defensive line, what is your general vibe as going into next year, knowing that Woody Washington's coming back and looking at the amount of people returning along with the recruiting class that you're just now dumping in? And then like you're not even we're not even talking about guys like Jaden Rowe. You're not even talking about guys like um we're not, we're not even talking about guys like Peyton Bowen that could commit uh, or, or could you know contribute right away in many facets. I mean, you got Ginger Williams still there. So what do we think about the defense in general? We'll talk about the defensive line later. Yeah, with Woody Washington coming back, I think obviously it gives you a very veteran presence. He's a guy that's been through uh, the Alex Grinch system. Now he's going into the Brent Venable system, a guy that has NFL upside. Um, I mean, he'll make it somewhere on a roster. I don't know if he'll ever be a starter, but um, he's got a lot of upside if he, you know, comes back, fills out a little bit more physically, um, kind of hones in some stuff. He would make it in the NFL. So um, that's always good to surround the young guys with. Obviously, he's been there a while. And there's a system. There's a lot of people in the building. Um, a lot of guys can look up to him. So you bring back Woody, um, you bring back Isaiah Coe, and I think you kind of Woody and Billy Bowman together to kind of build this back end of a, a leadership of the secondary. So you can put in guys like potentially a Peyton Bowen or maybe you bring back a CJ Colden potentially. Um, I think you get a lot of leadership back there. And that's something that felt like was missing from this team this year. I mean... Well, they had rotating the captains too. Yeah, I, so I don't like I don't like that. Would you say Woody would be a captain next year? Let's assume they just put captains for the year. I, I think, think you would be. have to seriously consider Woody, uh, Billy Bowman, maybe. Uh, the coaches freaking love Ethan Downs, dude. Like, no matter what he does in the field, the coaches love Ethan Downs. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, you just shoot Mark him in. Um, and, and so, but, but that's like the thing. You'd like but... Stuffman's too unserious as like as a, as a personality, but who knows? Yeah. But I I just think that I think this team did lack a sense of leadership, maybe on both sides of the ball, just because, I mean, with the transfer portal these days, it's really hard. You you can't just piece together a team and just say, all right, everybody, go out and play, make it work. We just <laughs> saw what that looks like for. USC on their offense and, and well, their defense already was already bad, but like you can't just put players together and say, make it work. Uh, of course, unless you have a Heisman caliber winning quarterback, then it, you can make the offense work. 
uh, for the most part. But I mean, you can't just do that in football. It's it's not plug and play like that. There are so many intricacies that that go into that. And so, I think on the offense, you lacked. I mean, with switching centers often between Conjol and Rain because of the the injuries, uh, Dylan Gabriel coming in to Norman, uh, and just it being an uh, an odd year. You had Braden Willis as like maybe the voice of the locker room, if you will, uh, but. Typically, yeah, and this Deshaun is no White slight to be another one. Yeah, but and but this is no slight to those guys. You want your leaders to be the best players on the team. You want your leaders Ideally. to be the embodiment of that. And do you feel like Deshaun White and Brayden Wills were the best guys on the team? Deshaun White, you can make a case for defensively because he was put into a new position, played it. Yeah for the most part, pretty well, but he's just basically a one-year rental for this this program now for the new culture and a new system mm-hmm. and everything like that. So, um, I mean, maybe Woody Washington becomes the Deshaun White. Maybe he becomes the voice where, he, you know, he makes the big plays, makes the tough plays, and kind of rallies the, the troops a little bit. I still think about I still, I still think about the offense and I and I'm I remember reading an article something about being silent leaders and stuff like that and Brent's first kind of like go around as the coach and there are two guys that stay behind in the locker room cleaning up stuff and it was Dylan Gabriel and Marvin Mims guys that have bought into the program so guys that lead by example and not necessarily were vocal leaders but you need those vocal leaders at some point like you need those guys in the field when you're down four you need a touchdown in the game Oklahoma has been in that positions several times this year and lost all those times right you need those guys that are that calm everybody down it's like we're gonna go down and score the ball it's simple as that um and i'm not saying that's an indictment of this team it's just i feel like they didn't have that leader you want your leaders to be the guys that are the best players in that team um and i know this is early january i mean it, it is literally the second but what are your early expectations for this team next year? Is it is it over an over 500 team? Is it a team that has a chance at the Big 12 title? Is it a team like what do you like? It doesn't even have to be a record. Yeah, they should be in contention for the Big 12 title. Um, obviously, they seem to be a very, very much above 500. I think if you look at this, maybe I think eight and five would be the floor potentially for this team or a nine and nine and four, something like that. So um, I think they could definitely make the big 12 title. It's going to be tough because you don't have some, some proven playmakers um, defensively. Like you just don't have that, that impact guy. Um, so does that person emerge over the, the off season or early next year, potentially, but right now in January, there's not someone where he's like, yeah, that's a dude on defense. He's going to be trouble for everybody in the big 12. Um but do you think PJ you know, Adabare could come in and start wrecking offensive lines on the edge as a guy that as an impact guy immediately? He would definitely be in the rotation. Obviously, he's got to learn a lot more X's and O's being a guy yeah. that's only played football for what two really just two seasons. Yeah. Um, and there's always gonna be some growing pains with true freshmen. Like you're gonna have to put them through the weight program early and often and just hope they can develop early. Um, you know, some guys are late bloomers. Hopefully, you know, PJ Adabare gets in there. Was it, I think, believe he's an early enrollee mm-hmm. and, you know, puts on five, 10 pounds over the offseason. I just think the team, early, my early expectation is fewer penalties 
that you shoot yourself in the foot, but at the same time, just, just further growth into the systems in which they are beholden to on offense and defense. The offense is not something that is complicated to understand, but the rhythm of it is something that is hard to nail down, especially if you're piecing an offense together as the year goes on, Uh, especially when you have guys in and out of the lineup and when your offensive line is disheveled and you have a different center every other week. I think that's an issue, especially when you're going really quick every snap. I and mean, you're, of course, you're going to have false starts. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of them, especially when you have guys that are getting injured on the offensive line and you have guys that are constantly playing center differently. Um, and so I think there's something to say there. And then I, so I expect that to be cleaned up a little bit. I don't expect it to be cleaned up completely. I expect guys like Nate Anderson and Jacob Sexton to be a lot better um, and have legitimate chances for next year. Uh, because the offensive line is in a position where I feel like they could actually be pretty okay next year at the beginning of the year and not in the middle of the year and go from there. Um, defensively, it's a little bit different, right? I mean, when I say because this is my issue with people right now and tell me if this is too much of a take. People want to say, because I say because I say all these things like, like it, it, it's give it time, give it time. People say, well, so and so did it at Oregon, and so and so did it over there, and so and so did it over there. <laughs> and, and it's like, yeah, and like or Dan Lanning in Oregon, and some other guy did it. You know, Lincoln Riley did it at USC, and ignore the entire context of that used to be a thing, like often because players didn't have the transfer portal where they could go and just play anywhere. But now coaches play players commit to coaches and not universities. And especially if you're a top player. And so it shifts the game around a little bit. And so it's going to take a little bit of time, especially once one coach exits. I mean, like you're going to have a guy that follows that coach. Like you saw at USC. Like you used, like you saw Jaron Canick from Clemson. You, you saw like same exact thing, right? I mean, don't like you got to think Clemson fans are not happy. They lost probably one of the best players of that draft class, but he hadn't played on the field that year and nobody knew about him yet. And it, it's amazing to me that people just like are unsatisfied with the amount of growth over a single season where you saw growth, it, it was incremental. It takes seasons i mean when saban went to alabama who was a blue blood when saban went to alabama they were not good that first year or really even that second year it took them a couple years i mean you go the whole bob stoops route took them a couple years and with the advent of the transfer portal especially now with more nil it makes it significantly more difficult to do things especially if you're at a school like ou instead of texas Alabama, Tennessee, uh, Ohio State programs with a shit ton of money in comparison to Oklahoma <laughs> that does not have that same amount of money. And so people, I, I expect to see a lot more growth, especially when you have guys like Deshaun McCullough come in. Uh, you have a lot of other guys coming in like defensive mercenaries. You're stalking, you're loading this team up with guys that can play defense at a high level. I expect more growth from them. So I expect overall, like you just said, the floor is probably eight wins. It feels like, I mean, 
The floor this year we felt like was about seven or eight wins. And if they go one or two plays each game, and I know people hate to hear that, but it's true. Oklahoma's nine and three. <laughs> Oklahoma should have won the bowl game. You know, right? It, it's just, it's one of those things. And like, am I, am I off on that? Or, or what do you think? No, I don't think you're very off because there's what you said, one or two. I would say there's three plays that kind of defines this season for, you know, the record it is. But if you're looking at Oklahoma fans that are kind of frustrated or mad about the, the record or, you know, just as far as like how fast things are developing. Look, look at Florida State. Look at the team you just lost to. Was it Mike Norvell's been there? Yeah, three this seasons. Is third year. He went three and six, five and seven. Now he's 10 and three. And they're looking pretty good. And they're looking pretty good going into next year, too. So these things take time. I mean, Dabo didn't really get off to a hot start. Uh, Lincoln Riley's offense didn't really get off to a hot start when he came here as an offensive coordinator under Bob Stoops. So, um, some programs get the benefit of having like a Bo Nix or some veteran players that just love the program. They're going to put it all out there and they're going to force people to win. I mean, Oklahoma had Baker. Baker made the entire team better. Uh, yep. Right now, they don't have that. And they're working good. I think the culture's in place, but give it, you know, give it more than one season for this thing to develop. I, I think it's, I think it's being a little bit spoiled. I mean, as a fan base, I mean, Look at look at Oklahoma's history, especially when people actually started watching it and being able to listen to it on the radio. Right. Uh, for the vast majority of Oklahoma's history, they have sustained success. And I'm even talking about just like eight win seasons, which is like frowned upon in Norman because the amount of success they've had. Um, and so just give us some time. It'll be OK. And of course, like if we're having the same conversation next next year, where it's not a just a player development issue, but it's also a coach issue, then that's a con- different conversation, right? Right. Then we can revisit that and say, mm, are we sure about this? But as of now, just like chill. It's like one of the it's the Aaron Rodgers situation when they end up winning the Super Bowl that year. It's like just calm down, just just wait and see. Even though college football is a very is a very uh, what have you done for me lately? world i suppose right it's very uh when now when every season that's just not that's just not reasonable unless you're like alabama yeah alabama now but like to get it started that wasn't they take your bumps and bruises and then you get your culture you get your players sometimes you get a little money on the side so and i think was moving in the right direction there i mean nick saban did not win national like his national title lsu he won it in what year two, three? He uh, won it in year two or three. Three. I think so. Um, and then he goes to the NFL and then he goes to Alabama. And it didn't he did not immediately that first year, it did not work. Of course, he had to recruit his guys in. I mean, Alabama was not that good at that time. Uh and, and it's I mean there's just there there are things. I have thoughts. But speaking of coaches. There, so it looks like a lot of signs are pointing to Ladamian Washington not being, not necessarily being not retained as the wide receiver, as as a coach on OU staff, but not necessarily as the wide receivers coach. And Oklahoma would be looking in the direction of a new wide receivers coach. There's smoke to a coach named Emmett Jones, who 
is on staff at Texas Tech as the wide receiver coach and passing game coordinator. He's been with, with Tech and KU uh, a ton, but also had started his career off in the you know, South Oak Cliff and Skyline and other prominent Texas high schools as a, as a, as a head coach and offensive coordinator. How significant would that be to have a guy that has coached in at Texas Tech in Kansas as far as passing game coordinator and like Texas Texas Tech as far as spread, but also a guy that has pretty strong ties uh, to Texas high school football when you consider Matt Rule's now in Nebraska and he's already saying we're going to Texas because I mean that's the reason why Joe <laughs> McGuire did so well. And that's the reason why Joe right. McGuire is probably going to do well was because. Joe McGuire was a very popular high school head coach, and he did really awesome at Texas Tech in year one. He's going to do an even better job uh, in TCU when OU and Texas are gone from the Big 12 is going to mop up as far as some some places in recruiting in Texas. And so let's say Emma Jones is hired. Is that a good hire? Would you like that? Or, or is that something just to like be excited about? No, you already brought up what I was going to say with, with Joey McGuire. Um, I haven't really looked at Eamon Jones a ton. I know he recruited one of my favorite prospects, Eric Uzakama, um, that went to Texas Tech. He's a very good wide receiver. Um, but having those relationships and knowing, you know, who can I talk to? What do you think about this kid? And then you can also, you know, vice versa. Coaches can go to him and say, hey, you should really take a look at so-and-so. Um, he's just a sophomore, but we think he's going to be really, really good down the road. So, there's some conversations to be had there, but obviously a lot of these programs are going towards having a guy that has a lot of, a lot of high school relationships and, you know, prime places where they're recruiting. And that's for Oklahoma, that's Texas. And that, that that's something that is very underrated. It feels like when thinking about coaching and recruiting in general is it's not the idea. Cause I think a lot of people and or people that follow recruiting casually, if you will. I think a lot of people would think that it's just coaches going into in-homes with families, meeting mom and dad, or whoever's there, um, and recruiting the kid. And that that's true. Uh, but another part of that is the coaching staff having a relationship with certain high schools and high school coaches as well. Uh, there's no doubt about it that Oklahoma has strong ties to Katy, Texas and Katy High School. That's very important to acknowledge. Uh, and, and, and Oklahoma, they have strong ties to other high schools and, and, and guys that vibe with them very well. I mean, it, that's just simple. And so to have guys that would recruit the Tulsa area, to have guys that would recruit the DFW area pretty well uh, in Allen, Texas, and all those suburbs of DFW, that's really important. And people need to acknowledge that as an importance. Um, talking about other coaches, Ted Roof. So you're going to do, do, <laughs> do we raise the roof? Do we, re or, or my house, when I first bought it, there was a hailstorm and we said, hey, we'll buy the house <clears> if you replace the roof. Do we replace the roof? What's what was so what happens? Because I, I actually got a question the other day. Somebody said um, they still don't understand why Roof was even a company by Venables. And I kind of just 
gave the good old like it feels like a roughin Lincoln situation where you need a guy there, but I don't know at the same time because Venables is not as young. What, what what do you think about the whole roof saga and him staying, him being here, and if he gets replaced or not? Yeah, this is where you have to be careful when you talk about like Emmett Jones and having those relationships to a state. So for Emmett Jones, it's Texas. Ted Roof is Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. Ted Roof knows Georgia really well. Obviously, Oklahoma is not going to win a lot of major recruiting battles in the state of Georgia with Georgia's pretty much going on to the, another national championship here. So um, that's where you kind of have to cut your losses. Ted Roof, obviously uh, nice guy, maybe not the best coach for your program. At the same time, maybe the market just wasn't there for Oklahoma, so they had to get a guy. Um, but also they want to show that they can pay, you know, five years down the line, we're going to make a good defensive coordinator with $1.2 million. I think that's what Ted Roof makes right now. So some of it was maybe they find a guy that's not going to be the long term, but they can show how much money they're willing to spend for the right guy. I was thinking about this the other day. Do you think if Beamer had still been on staff, um, when the whole Lincoln stuff was going down, when he was going to USC, oh, uh, Castiglione would have offered the job to Shane Beamer. I think there were some conversations about that because he was basically what was he associate head coach? Yeah, he was like associate head coach, and he something like that. Yeah, he put like all the game plans together with Link. Yeah, I think there were some conversations behind the scenes. Obviously, that doesn't matter now because he's in South Carolina. Right. But good for I him too, was... having that success. Oh yeah. I mean, they're just really fun to watch. Even Spencer Rattler having a nice little redemption story there. So, yeah. Um, I think there were some conversations or maybe some blueprints that were kind of working on them say, Hey, maybe Lincoln jumps in the NFL. They didn't really know about USC at the time, but if that happens, you're our guy. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to deny. I mean, we, everybody knew how important he was when he was with OU. And then you saw the importance of when he left OU to go to South Carolina and the the success that he's had in such a short amount of time. Again, that first year, they barely made a bowl game in which South Carolina should be making a bowl game every year, despite the fact that they're in the SEC and they're improving and they're becoming a team that's like formidable. That is that you can respect. They're losing a bunch of guys though. They are losing. That's my only worry about Shane Beamers. They're losing a lot of talent on that, that roster. Yeah, well, the portal exists, right? There was like over what twelve hundred people in on Christmas night. <laughs> yeah. But they're on the they're on the opposite end of the portal because I think they lost yeah. what two or three tight ends, obviously Stogner, and then they had uh, Jaheim Bell, and then they lost their starting running back and someone else, I believe. So yeah. turns out we're placing the offensive coordinator and coaching changes. You know, kids uh, they go different places. Makes sense. But what would you say to folks? that are ready to fire this entire staff after the season. I mean, like we, I kind of just went on a tirade about it. What would you say? <laughs> it's just not warranted because there is progress. This team is better in a lot of ways. Obviously, the record's not going to reflect it. Um, and that record also reflects that they have a lot of work to do. But you look at the culture, you look at some of the players they're bringing in. Um, you know, physically, they look better. They're, they're more physical up front. Um, there's a lot of progress that was made from what late November to the point we're at now. Yeah. Um, when Lincoln left, different. and now we're 
now we're officially in the first postseason of of Brent Venables. So there's a lot of progress. You know, if these problems persist into next season, obviously there's some some red flags we're gonna have to address there. But uh, overall, I don't really think this thing's going backwards. I think they took their their bumps and bruises this season, and they're gonna learn from it. And that's you know both with players and coaches, uh, and that we'll just go from there. So I don't I don't think there's any reason to act too harshly in this situation and that doesn't mean and that doesn't mean that we're not saying that there isn't room for critique right right i mean brent venables has got to be better as a game manager yeah and several coaches have to get their like offensive line needs to get together earlier in the season uh obviously the, the run blocking was pretty good but the pass blocking just wasn't there so bill beanbo still has a lot of work to do there uh ted roof or whoever you want to say he's controlling the defense obviously levy play to, calling yada yep. yada tempo so yeah. there's, there's a lot of things you can learn from the season yeah it's it, it this is not to say that you know like hey stop you know just calm down everything will be okay everything's fine of course we can all acknowledge things are not the best and that we can critique those things like we have been um but at the same time you can also acknowledge that there, like Stephen, you just said and alluded to, this team started to trend a little bit more differently as the as the season went on, especially later when Dylan Gabriel was on the other side of October. Um, it just the team felt a little bit different as far as just them making small incremental gains, and we'll see what happens over the next course of the season. So, with that said, in the 2023 season. What unit do you expect to see more growth out of uh, as far as week one? Are we excluding the defensive line since that's the the number one answer for pretty much anything? Yeah, I mean, like with what with what you know with the defensive line's coming back with, and with what you know what the defensive line is going to have, you can include the defensive line, sure. Well, we'll just say defensive line just to cover it. Um, obviously, we'll say who's coming in, who might be coming in in a little bit, but. Um, I think there's some growth towards the end of the season. Obviously, Ethan Downs even started playing a little bit better, even though he's yeah, he pretty did. much the, the punching bag for the fan base at the moment. So kind of surprised me. Those those like uh Chavis is doing a pretty good job um developing his guys. So I think the defensive line, you'll see them be more dominant, especially in the, the beginning of the season where they're not playing too much competitive football. So uh the other thing is linebackers. Linebackers kind of just went everywhere towards the middle of the season, like Denny Stutzman was just not that good. Let's just be honest. Like he was just out of position over pursuing, not in his gap, that kind of thing. So uh, you'll have an off season to go over film, look at it and make those corrections. I think they'll come back and they'll play pretty good there. The thing about Stutzman that kills me is, especially looking at the Florida state game, because that's a culmination, especially those extra bowl practices, but like, it's like that culmination of, your body of work, right? Like what you, what have you learned from week one to week, whatever it is now in this, within this defensive scheme. And you can see dudes like Danny Stutzman who earlier in the season playing with the head down tunnel vision, you know, a ton of crap was going on, yada, yada. Um, And you can now see him like starting to put parts together, but it's not fluid yet as far as sinking back, looking at the quarterback's eyes, but his hips aren't turned the right way. And if his hips are turned the right way and he makes that read with what's going on right behind him or that's communicated, he gets an easy interception, like a Tampa two. 
Um, but it's a it's again those small incremental things that okay they're now forming into those positions. It just it's gonna like you said take that off season hopefully make that leap look at the film uh, and get as many reps in right like that's the that's the whole thing. And I think there's something to be said about depth as well and just giving him time to get on the sideline and kind of catch his breath. Um, so you know maybe Kip Lewis was a guy that we kind of saw. Um, mm-hmm. Had a couple flashes in the early games. We say hey, this this guy might be pretty good there. So if he develops through the offseason, obviously you can kind of rotate those guys and keep that that group fresh. I think it's crazy that I mean, like we thought it was crazy at first. Jaron Canick thought we all thought he's going to be the cheetah, and then no, he's 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 taking all of his reps at like will linebacker, inside linebacker, if you will. And I mean, that tells me a lot of like what's going to happen the next couple of years, but also I, it just means he, we are going to have, we are going to see in Norman, a very big athletic, very, very fast linebacker uh, that already has a high IQ, high football IQ next to Danny Stutzman next year. I mean, do you think he starts next to Stutzman? I don't think a is coming back. Yeah, Guaybu is kind of a, a question mark for me. Um, and even if Guaybu did come back, if Canik, yeah, he's just not Kanak, twitchy enough, or yeah, doesn't really react fast enough. So, so uh, many Kanik quarterbacks was, outrun. He was playing running Guaybu. back last last season for his high school. So this was yep. his first real season playing a solidified position on defense. So I think you know, given that offseason, he should probably be at least in the running as a starter. I think he'd get a lot of minutes. I think he's going to be a darling at the at the spring game um, if he if he if he suits up. Oh man, I, I I would say I would say the almost the opposite, and which is hilarious to me that he's talking about what do we expect to see more growth from uh, from this coming season. I see all the offensive line. I like I've always liked Andrew Rain. The guy is really intelligent. He's physical, but he's gotten, he's been injured. He's been knocked up. I mean, no, no, knocked up. He's, oh, been, I don't know if he's been knocked up, maybe knocked around. <laughs> um, but he's been, he's, he's definitely been banged up, right? His knees had, he's had a couple surgeries already after the first couple seasons. Um, that's concerning for, for a variety of variety of reasons, but you also have McCabe Matar who's going to be there. And he has been a pretty decent, like kind of like linchpin right there for you. Uh, you have, Parks, Harrison, um, Guyton. Uh, you have some guys that you kind of like. Uh, Sexton, uh, Savion Bird. These are guys that I feel like could usher in a pretty decent starting five on that offensive line that have been familiar with each other, but again, have not gotten the amount of reps. But I think it's going to be pretty clear who will be playing where especially for the interior offensive line once again with with Savion Bird, Rame, and Matower, and then whoever the heck you want on the tackles, probably Harrison and Parks, who or Guyton and Parks, whoever whatever. Uh but um I mean I I just feel like the offensive line, like I said, is gonna be better at the start of the year instead of waiting till after Texas to make some things work. I don't know. What do you think about that? Is that too much? No, I think there's some validity to it. And I think one thing that you kind of alluded to is Savion Bird. Uh, he played pretty chippy against FSU. And I think. He looked good. If you I put mean, him. He made some mistakes. I mean, I like Andrew Rame, but at the same time, I don't think Andrew Rame is that fiery of a player. 
and you put Savion Bird next to him and they kind of feed off of each other. Obviously, Rain being a pretty intelligent guy, um, kind of the quarterback of the offensive line next to a guy that's probably going to want to whoop someone's ass after the game. Uh, that could be pretty advantageous for Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm really excited to see uh, what that offensive line is going to look like. Um, they have the makings of something <laughs> that could be fun, but it just depends. I mean, like, the offensive uh, line could not not could not do anything at the beginning of the, to start this year, and then as the year went on, started to really gel and make things work for their own. Like Bird to me is kind of like that Orlando Brown. Like, give him the opportunity to make a personal foul. Like, may, just let him do that, and that kind of sets the tone for everybody else on the offensive line. It just gives them an attitude. Yeah, I mean, totally. Like, it, it made people mad, but it got people going at the same time. Nobody knows what it means, but it's provocative. <laughs> it's the people going, such as Trace Ford transferring Uh-oh. from the Oklahoma State University Cowboys, your 1945 national champions, by the way, via, via, uh, Stolen. to Oklahoma, uh, to the University of Oklahoma. And of course, like we've known about that for a minute, that that was that he had committed to the coaching staff. And I remember tweeting out the cryptic, oh, he's going to get booed in Stillwater. It's going to be so bad. And as soon as he made his announcement, it got bad really, really, really fast. And he's another addition to that defensive line room, which could be good if, if his knee holds up. Um, what does Trace Ford mean to this pass rush as well? Because he is an edge rusher. He's, he is a pass rusher. He's not a, an, an, an inside guy for any means, I don't think. I mean, they've been lacking a guy that's just physically different. And if Trace Ford is healthy and his knee's healthy, he's going to be a very impactful player. I think he's going to probably have to swap positions with with uh, Ethan Downs. But obviously a guy that can go through a tackle, can go around a tackle, um, very physical, very violent. So he's a guy he, that would be a tone setter for Oklahoma's defensive line, uh, assuming he stays healthy all year round. Uh, but at the same time, Obviously, we, we talked to some people, and, and the decision with Trace Ford came down to who can kind of develop him into an NFL player. And that came down to OU and USC, ironically. Um, and him picking Oklahoma, despite being the in-state rival, uh, says a lot of how kind of that caliber of player sees Brent Venables. And, and Todd Bates, right? And, and fresh off his visit – Fresh off his visit from USC, I mean, like he tweets out, and my my recruitment is done, and then he goes right. radio silent for like ten days. It was the honest thing, and and it like bedlam Twitter. You have a bunch of Oklahoma, all the Oklahoma fans, just like saying, "Oh, that's awesome! Oklahoma needs defensive linemen," and also bragging about it to the Oklahoma State fans. And then you had Oklahoma State fans that were unhappy with it. Um, as far as even as far as at, at wishing he would get AIDS, uh, oh. I saw on a me- on a message board, which I was gonna I, I was gonna do uh, a message board meltdown, but then I there was a little there bit was very yeah I I I even text Jack I was like uh, should we continue with this because some of these are uh, these seem more like threats than anything. <laughs> and uh, it was bad like well, that's what makes college football special 
is grown men posting threats against you know eighteen to twenty one year olds. And he had good old Doug, good Doug Gottlieb, friend of the friend of the pod, uh, who told him to never wear those colors again and to take the O off off of his uh, off of his Letterman's jacket, even though if he got one at OU, it'd be still the same thing, just different colors. <laughs> I miss Doug. Yeah, Doug is. He's, uh, hopefully, he's doing better though. Yeah, that knee. It was his knee, right? Yeah, I think he said it was ACL. Or something for, like for, that. For those for those that are listening, Doug, we we hosted Doug on the podcast not long after Oklahoma and Texas announced they're going to the SEC, and he said to uh, fuck Oklahoma and fuck OU. No, he doesn't want to play uh, Bedlam after Oklahoma jumps to the SEC, but was very 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 um, dedicated to Trace Ford and just speaking his mind and his thoughts on his decision to go to another university, which I said a while back, Hey, if, uh, if, if OU or Texas gets a prominent player from another team, like, cause if OU or Texas loses a player and they go to Iowa state, they go to Oklahoma state, they go to Kansas state. Nobody cares. Oh, good for that team. Right. If they take a prominent player like USC, like Lincoln Riley does with Mario Williams, Caleb Williams and highly rated recruits, People are going to be pissed, and that's exactly what happened. And Doug was very pissed for something that he would did not care about, apparently. But he was also he mentioned the painkillers. But I mean, I understand he just. Has I want some. Yeah. I want to be there with Where, Doug. Who's this guy? But speaking of the, about the defensive line in general, so Oklahoma, who, who's Oklahoma? Oklahoma have on the interior, right? I'm not really worried about the edges because I feel like Oklahoma has plenty of guys that can play that edge position. And guys that they like that to play the edge position with R. Mason Thomas, you're going to have Deshaun McCullough, who's going to play, I think, everywhere. <laughs> I think it's guys going to be everywhere. And, and you're going to have, you have, you have a variety of guys that can play in those positions. For guys that are in the interior, you've got Co, Gilliam, Halton, Notre Dame transfer, Jacob Lacey. Oklahoma's kind of tied to Bothroyd from Wake Forest. Um, you've heard stuff from, uh, silver from North Carolina, Sears from Texas state. Uh, is, is there any good news in the front for Oklahoma on the interior? Because the, for, on the, on the guys in the edges, I'm not worried about, uh, and should I be worried about those guys? Edges? No, I think they're, they're pretty solid on the edge, at least depth wise. Like so how many guys does Oklahoma today. need then on the interior? If they if these are the guys two, you're rocking right? with right now, you've got co Gilliam, Halton and Lacey. And you are talking to Sears two, and Bothroyd right now. Two to three, depending on the other name that might may or may not right. transfer, something like that. So, yeah, uh, I would say at least two, minimum two. And Davin Sears, I think, tweeted out like maybe an hour ago that he was going to take a visit to Oklahoma. Um, I believe like on the fourth or something Wednesday, like the fourth. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll see if Oklahoma can kind of shore things up there. I think he'll probably take a couple more visits. So. Um, the thing with Oklahoma is they didn't really have visits at the time because of how the NCAA structured. Um, you lose 14 players, you don't get 14 official visits back, so it's kind of hard for them to to work around that a little bit. But uh, I think they have it figured out. Uh, Sears is obviously a name that's coming in this week, and then you kind of look at maybe a guy that's been rumored in Keyshawn Silver. And we'll see, you know, with the playoff game and the national championship, once that ends, does Oklahoma find another guy in the portal? Cause there's always the rumor out there that they're kind of waiting on a name or two to pop. So I would say give it at least one more week and we'll, we'll kind of narrow it down from there. And there's always another little transfer 
thing after all the bowl games are over and then after the spring games over. So it's not going to end this week. For those that are, are, that are listening to uh, the podcast, Oklahoma's the university of Oklahoma's actual school session, as far as class since getting in session starts, I believe on the 16th, 17th. So you're about two weeks away. Uh, okay. from understanding who's going to end up where. Uh, because, I mean, Dylan Gabriel was a last-second thing. So these things can drag out. And especially if a coach gets fired, if a coach gets poached by the NFL after bowl games, anything is possible. Uh, so just keep that in the back of your minds. And so speaking of guys coming and going, because I think that, you know, Co. Coe played a ton of snaps this year. I was very surprised by that, and he played some pretty good snaps. And so I was happy that he was coming back. Uh, Halton is another guy that I was surprised that got a ton of snaps during even the regular season. Uh, I he You would see him in the game often. Uh, I, okay, not like often, often, but you would see him in games, and he was right. noticeable. Um, and then you also have, though, Gilliam, who... He's played sparingly. He didn't play as much as Hall Knight and think Lacey. You don't know much about him. He's a little bit undersized in comparison to what Notre Dame wanted. Um, Oklahoma obviously is looking at other guys. You want maybe other guys to bulk up from the ends to pull on the inside. I don't know what they're after. Uh, but I mean, Oklahoma clearly needs at least one to two more transfers, but or could just straight up go the whole like route where they go four two five, but only have three defensive linemen. I mean, he Brent's done that at Clemson because of the amount of defensive linemen they did not have because of the draft and transfers, uh, they could be apt to do it again. And so, but talking about transfers, because here, the there's an, other people are, are discussing the idea of Dylan Gabriel transferring and not necessarily going to the NFL because Dylan Gabriel has two years left to eligibility. Now, if he transfers, does he have to sit a year out? Uh, I don't think so. Even if the rules there, I'm sure you could petition it because NCAA is very, very weak at the moment. So yeah, they're pretty flimsy uh, about it. Pretty sure and they would just find a way to make him play. Because this is what I was thinking. There's that there's that narrative of Dylan Gabriel coming back to play, coming back to play or not. And I was thinking, well, obviously he's not NFL ready. I don't think anybody in in Oklahoma thinks he's NFL ready. I don't think Dylan Gabriel thinks he's NFL ready. I don't, I, I do you think he's NFL ready? Uh, no, not at all. Not even close. Like, do you, do you think he would get drafted this year after this year? I mean, he his, may get his, drafted his, stats, because, his stats are cool. Right. Right. But quarterbacks always find a way to get drafted. So like, if it's I mean, pure it stats, would be a late sure. round, but yeah. Yeah. Sixth round, and, fifth round, something like that. Who knows? And that's the thing, right? And Chad Kelly got drafted. Comes, I'm pretty sure. If he could, yeah, he did. If he comes back and work in and and has his his footwork just really, really, really awesome and on par, he could have a really explosive year next year. But I I don't think he is an NFL draftee right now which to me would suggest that if he were to move, it would be a transfer and not going to the NFL. And so I was thinking, okay, what motive would he be given to transfer? Which I was thinking, you know, in, 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 of course, in uh, with other conversations, the idea of Jackson Arnold, 
if Oklahoma and Texas do leave the Big 12 after this in, 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 incoming season and go to the SEC, maybe you don't want Jackson Arnold's first starts to be against, you've got your non-cons, and then you have maybe at Auburn or at some place in the SEC. Maybe that's not what you want. Uh, you would want him having a season under his belt. And Arnold said the other day at the Under, uh, Under Armour All-American uh, practices that he was promised early shot at playing time. Do you think that's the fork in the road as far as Dylan Gabriel is? he Jackson Arnold is a very talented individual, and he could replace a Dylan Gabriel if needed and be, be Spencer Rattler, if you will, um, by injury or if he just isn't doing it well enough and Arnold comes in and takes his spot. Is that, is that something or am I reading too much into that? Um, I think it's, a, it's definitely it's a been a thing, thing but the, the, how I look at it is if you're, if you're Dylan Gabriel and you know, Jackson Arnold signing is coming in, talented guy, um, familiar with the system. So there's not going to be as much of a learning curve for him um, as there was for like, like a Davis Bevel or someone um, like that. So he would be a guy that could probably pick things up pretty quick and kind of push you as a starter. Um, at the same time, if you can't hold off a guy that's just out of high school and you're what, junior fifth year in college yeah, football? He, yeah, he, he had a you're just not year. the guy. Yeah, I think he's three years in. Three years, four years, you're, I don't know. You're just you're just not the guy that's that you think you are. So um for Dylan Gabriel, if he transfers out, that's kind of just him conceding, hey, I'm going to lose my spot anyways, essentially. So um, I think you want to keep Dylan Gabriel because he knows the offense. He obviously knows the players. Um, he's a guy that can communicate really well in the huddle. Um, you bring in Jackson Arnold, there's, you know, despite the talent, there's some learning curves there. So you want to work him in as slowly as possible in this first season and then kind of let him go from there and maybe get some, some game time. Um, you know, with injury or, you know, some games just out of hand so you can you can freely play them. But there's more than just arm talent when it comes to quarterbacks and, and kind of leading a team. And I think you'd want to keep Dylan Gabriel next season if you could. Yeah, and, and even if that's just as a guy that starts the season but doesn't end the season right. as the starter. Right. I mean that that's kind of, that's that's what I kind of assumed about this you don't upcoming want to throw season. Jackson Arnold in there too fast and just let him get overwhelmed and discouraged. Like you want there to be a progression and some growth and allow him to do that without just overwhelming him. Yeah. That my my thought was my prevailing thought was always we would see Dylan Gabriel start the season, but maybe and possibly not finish it. And it has nothing to do with him being injured by that end of the season. And that's kind of what my take was on it. Kind of like a Caleb Williams, Spencer Rattler. Exactly. And and of course, the thing is, it'd be a little bit different because Spencer Rattler didn't lose his job because of talent. He lost it because he just lost his head. Like he just wasn't there all mentally. And that's the thing that it makes me think because Arnold says he was, you know, promise that chance at early playing time and let's say Oklahoma let's say Oklahoma gives him a couple different packages because he's a different quarterback like right. his play style is different than Dylan Gabriel's Jackson Earl's not afraid to take off and try to run you over 
I mean, he's not that big of a guy, but he's definitely one of those hard-nosed guys that can make those Baker. Big, those, those, yeah, he's one of those hard-nosed guys, but has a freaking rocket launcher of an arm, okay? And so, like, let's say you have him in those packages where he looks pretty good in those in those small packages, and you start to expand those packages. It, it reminds me of that whole situation, right? Where his package, the packages that they put him in, are grow more and more and more. And by that time, you might have a bad performance by Dick Gabriel, and you say, you know what? Second half, this guy's staying in. And that's what is that's what it was like during the the Rattler Williams stuff. And so it wouldn't surprise me to see that happen. But we talked about other transfers. Are there other guys that Oklahoma maybe might be in on? Um, there was a defensive back from Clemson at one point that Oklahoma talked was circling around. I think they uh I think he had some legal troubles. Ooh. You know, Fred Fred Davis or whatever, Fred, whoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he was the <laughs> I'm pretty sure he hit like a mailman with his car or something like that. So there's some legal tie-ups. I think Oklahoma just didn't want to get involved there. Can't do that with a federal employee. Yeah, because, I mean, you don't want to have, you know, court hearings or whatever you got to do in the middle of the season. So Oklahoma just said, you know, thanks, but no thanks kind of thing. And like Oklahoma finally has depth in the defensive backfield and quality depth from linebacker all the way back to safety. And we thought maybe a running back, but at this point, after watching those two, I don't think you really need a running back at this this point in the season. Um, I guess you can reevaluate after the spring game, but I, I think I, I think you look at what Schmidt is going to be able to do with Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk for one more season for one more off season, and then what he's going to be able to do for guys like Daniel Smothers, who's coming in early. I think Caleb Hicks is early too. I believe so. He was at the bull practice. Hicks was. So Smothers definitely is early. I, I believe. Um, and it's it's going to be a good. It's Oklahoma. You're going to have good running backs. That's that's just that's just the case. Um. All right, we got to play talk about playoffs. This is this has been the most entertaining playoffs. This has been the most entertaining cultural playoff we have seen to date for both for both games. They were both high scoring games. You have Hypno Toad and TCU making it to the national title game uh, before Oklahoma does. I'm a little bit afraid of what may happen to them versus Georgia, um, which is possible. But uh, what are your what are your thoughts on on the playoffs so far? The playoffs have been good. I think the entire bowl season has been phenomenal. I think mm-hmm. the argument that bowls don't matter and people don't want to watch bowls after this season, it's it's been great. So um, playoff wise, obviously TCU, I think is very intriguing. Um, kind of ironic that Garrett Riley is now won a playoff game and his brother is now zero and four in playoff games. So yep. Um, but TCU is kind of fun. Like I'm I'm not a huge TCU guy because I think they they just always kill OU quarterbacks somehow. They just find a way. Uh, but the red alert. TCU is a fun like Quentin Johnson is a very fun player to watch. Max Dungan is a very fun player to watch. D Winters is like everything you want a linebacker. So, um, I I, mean, I kind of kind of want to see TCU win just for fun. That would be good. I mean, like I don't think they will well, because Georgia Georgia just always finds a way to win. Yeah. Like I hate Stetson Bennett, but he always finds a way to win. <laughs> He does. He played well. It just pisses me uh, off. That, like, that, that, that last series. And they almost lost it, though. It, it came down to a, a complete shanked field goal that Ohio State could yeah. have made. 
And they had like the, what did you see the targeting call that they were kind of questioning. Yep. The was it was it Marvin Harrison Jr. or whatever? Yeah, I didn't really or, think it was targeting. I thought he'd left with his shoulder, but it's always up for debate. But I, I, I think that Georgia, I, I think that TCU, first of all, TCU is very experienced. TCU is very good. They have a good coaching staff. They have a veteran They're coaching physical. staff. I mean, they, 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 they have a good team. They have, they brought in tra- some transfers. They guys stick around. Uh, the important guys notably stick around Quentin Johnson dagger, twist the dagger a little bit more talking about how he almost went to Oklahoma. Um, said some Bennett twisted dagger even more talking about how that game was probably more exciting than the 2017 Rose bowl. F you Stetson Bennett. Um, <laughs> And, and, and so TCU, though, you have a very veteran team. You have a team that loves the school and Max Duggan staying, who wasn't even the starter for that season. They played Chandler Morris for a minute. Um, and for them to come out and play a team like Michigan, who is physical, but didn't look that physical against. Yeah, they, they didn't look that physical against TCU. But but as the game went on, the game was clearly um uh, it clearly, you know, meshed and became something to the effect that Michigan could have won that game. They were in the same predicament OU was against Florida State. You got 55 seconds, no timeouts in the ball. Go make something happen. Both of them made nothing happen. Okay, whatever. But TCU also had like how many weeks to prepare and get their bodies right for that game against Michigan? Can they get their bodies right for the best team in college football one week later? Uh, with that amount of with that same amount of depth that Georgia has more of, I think. I think I don't think it the answer, feels I think like the they're, no. they're very much overmatched because I mean Michigan physically I thought was a little bit overrated even with a Joe Moore award. Right. Uh, Georgia is not overrated. They're very physical. No. They're very big. They're rated. And despite TCU being a pretty physical team, especially in the Big Twelve and, and nationally, they're not physical like Georgia is. So I think it's kind of stacked up against them. Especially in back-to-back weeks, and that's where that's where I get yeah. everything out. It's like if this was in another three weeks, you know, maybe right. sure, have fun. Back-to-back weeks, I think Georgia's more ready for that than TCU would be. But maybe I could be completely wrong. I picked Michigan to win that game, and I'm excited to see Quentin Johnson versus Keeley Ringo. I think that's be pretty fun. Oh, that'll be good. Up. So. I mean, it would be really cool to see TCU win a national title. I mean, Melissa Tribewasser from um, Frogs uh, Frogs of War. Um, they do some pretty cool stuff over at the SB Nation site, um, and uh, she got she's she got them credential and everything. Uh, just would be really excited for the TCU fans that I know uh, that are our friends. But I mean, like, also really sucks that Oklahoma probably should have won. You think about 2003 and how you, you think about 2003 and how it was a one score game. You think about 2008 and how Oklahoma was at the goal line before half and did absolutely nothing with it and how they probably sh- should have won that game too, especially if DeMarco Murray was playing. Uh, you think about the Georgia game and you think, man, Oklahoma could have double digit national titles right now. It sucks to think that TCU would, would win, win one. <laughs> it almost makes Lincoln Riley out to be like a international criminal. Like he he's is. just stolen so much away from Oklahoma. For now. Especially when you I squib think... kick it. But let's, let's not go down that path because I can just God. talk about the squib kick for like an hour. Because Michigan squib kicked it. 
or so somebody squib kicked it and i was like that's a horrifying mistake no it was who oh somebody squibbed it and i thought it was just a just a really 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 bad opportunity to do that in one of the two playoff games it was horrifying timing but hypno toad is on its way to the national title game conference realignment so for oklahoma Everybody I've talked to on the OSU side believes Oklahoma and Texas are going to the SEC in, the, in 2025. Everybody else I've talked to on the other side says Oklahoma and Texas are going to the SEC after this incoming season. Which is it to you? And for Oklahoma, what does that mean? How many games do you expect them to win that first season? I think this will be the last season that Oklahoma's in the Big 12. How many games did they win in 2025 uh, in the SEC then? In, including non-con, of course. Or 2024? Uh, 2020, Their first season. Yeah, 2024, 2025. Um, it kind of depends how it shakes out. I just kind of want to see what this recruiting like class schedule. looks like for Oklahoma. And the schedule. I mean, you just look at USC. Like Their schedule was soft, and they... They won a ton of games, so they lost to all the ranked teams except UCLA. Right. So, I mean, the odds are low that OU gets an easy schedule in the first season of the SEC because the SEC seems like they're kind of retooling and they're back to their normal self. Um, <laughs> what? I would say eight games. Eight games because you have Jackson Arnold. Yep. Who's probably still going to be younger. Um, you lose Rain. So that's kind of you always want to have like an experienced center. Do you uh, think Graham though might come back because he has that COVID year and hasn't been consistently healthy? And uh, is that a reason? And, that. and is that a reason why you should start Jackson Arnold this coming year in the Big Twelve? That'd be a reason you know? why you should start him just so you can kind of get a feel for what he's going to be like in the SEC. But or like at you the said, same time, I think you risk a lot just starting him right away. Yeah. Or like you said, just ease him into the game, um, right. as aforementioned. I think, you think the, ease him into is it. the floor but the ceiling eight games? I think the floor would be eight games because you're gonna have some okay. easy games, like yeah. let's Van, say Vanderbilt, Vandy, Missouri, uh, maybe Auburn just falls apart again because they usually do. They have one good year and then that just explodes. Um, yeah, LSU's looking pretty good, so. We'll see what kind of Brian Kelly does there, but wonder about. I mean, Arkansas State. is beatable. Mississippi yep. State's beatable. Ole Miss is beatable. Yep. Uh, Florida is definitely beatable. So, I mean, there's teams there that Oklahoma is going to be better than. They're not going to be on the floor of the SEC just walking in. Right. All right. I man, that's so hard to project for me. I feel like their floor. If they well, if let's say if they exit in twenty twenty five, what's their floor then? I give them extra. I'm gonna like nine, and that feels more than fair, right? Yeah, because you're gonna be better than Georgia's probably still be going. So you have what Alabama, Georgia, LSU as like your main guys there, because we don't think Florida's gonna make it with what they got right now. So everyone else is winnable, especially with. Saban, I don't know how many years he has left, but it doesn't feel like he has more than five years left. I'd say three. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I I don't think Saban is at Alabama 
much longer. I don't know. I'm not saying like he's going to retire in two years or he's going to retire next year, but I'm saying I don't think I don't see Saban there in five years. I don't see him there now. I think would probably get Dabo most likely, which Dabo's. I mean, Clemson's been good, but Dabo's just been known for hiring good coordinators. Kirby Smart's going to be at Georgia for a minute as long as that success continues. Uh, LSU doesn't really need a head coach. Well, they. Well, they need a competent person there, but I mean, Ed, Ed O is there and he had a generational <laughs> everything. So, I mean, they can't, can, they can it's run well, themselves. They can run themselves as long as, you know, everything goes to plan. Uh, but LSU will always be a hotbed. And so it'll be Oklahoma, you know, clawing tooth and nail, right? Like four recruits, Tennessee uh, up and coming again. Uh, so like, that's right. exciting to see, especially with Josh Heupel at the helm there. And that's, that's really cool. I mean, good for Josh. I thought when he went to Tennessee, I was like, this dude is going to get cremated. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be bad. And yeah, sure. Those first couple years, not that great. Makes sense. Especially with, you know, the, the issues with the NCAA, but it's cool to see them have that amount of, amount of success now and him as a head man in a power five school, such as Tennessee and, you know, being a couple games away from actually going to the, or being one game away, realistically away from the college football playoff. Uh, it's just so intriguing and so cool to see that. But Oklahoma, I think if they exited for after next year, I think their floor is seven games, maybe okay. even six because oh. it, it, it's because it depends on what you do with Jackson Arnold. Right. And a lot of those teams that we just talked about, Oklahoma, should have better talent than or at least similar talent to in which we've seen, and maybe I'm just snake bitten from this year, right? That you see the equal talent and can you win those games? Can you turn the tide? Can you make those extra two to three plays against those teams that are just as good as you are, if not better? Um, 2025, I feel far more comfortable with the recruiting class, with the with the recruiters and coaches on staff, I think Oklahoma's floor in in two thousand twenty twenty five is, like you said, probably eight nine wins. I think I think that's more than appropriate. You have a Jackson Arnold legitimately like playing. You've got guys that are sticking around. You have your secondary growing up. You have your linebackers growing up. Maybe you've recruited a couple of defensive linemen that are. Uh, your your own and not JUCO or transfers that you need yeah, really like badly or something like that. Exactly. Uh, and the offense with Oklahoma uh, feels like I don't I, I don't think the offense is going to leave Oklahoma anytime soon, uh, especially with a quarterback like J- Jackson Arnold. So I think nine wins is fair to say that for a floor uh, for 2025. But gosh, it's it's intriguing to, to think about what the schedules could look like. Heck, it's it's intriguing what the schedules could look like next year for Oklahoma. The Oklahoma playing SMU and Norman. That would be fun. I like SMU. They're a good team too. They're they are a good team, and that they're a team that Oklahoma went to battle with for what is it? LJ Johnson, running back. And he chose uh, SMU. You talking about the transfer? Yeah, and Kamar yep. Wheaton was kind of in that, that battle too, but he went to Alabama. But SMU is a good team, and I think that'll be a really, really good test for them early next year, especially to see that defensive growth, if you will, and to see that offensive growth as well. But that's all I've got for the podcast. Do you have anything? Uh, Join the Discord because we should have a lot of fun transfer portal news coming in. 
Um, I think, I mean, there's like some structural things around OU, obviously a coaching shirt uh, search is probably underway. So um, there's a lot of things going on in January. That'll be, will be fun for OU. Flight tracker season. Just don't post flight it on tracker Twitter. season. But, uh, but okay, we, all, I mean, we have like Twitter. Thunder basketball, uh, NFL, all that fun stuff. So it's not just, just OU related. It's good times. And then college basketball, if you're into it, I know you don't are into it, but I Oklahoma just came up short against Texas 70 to 69 just the other day. Basketball is pretty much dead to me because of Sam Presti, but that's another podcast. That is another podcast. We should release it as a, as a, I should just, we should just talk about it and release it as a bonus episode. Just feel me just storming the Paycom center, trying to rip down Collison's Jersey. Yeah. Like no, you wouldn't be storming it. Hey, hey, you're not. It's just sightseeing tour, okay? Chill out. You're not storming in. I think I got people in, in the Paycom Arena that can let me in. Ticket yeah. people. Like, hey, I just want to see, see some stuff. Yeah. Oh, gosh. My wife. I was actually there the other day for, uh, was it Parker McCollum? Uh huh. Yeah. Into yep. the, the OU Medicine Suite. Nice. Drinks but were not my... paid for. Oh, that's garbage. That's cheap. That's garbage. I think it was my, a mistake my, on, the, on the arena. I don't think it was. I, I, I could I could get you on a podcast with Sam Presti, maybe. My wife is on first name basis with Sam. Well, I know where Sam gets his suit, so I'll just meet him at the door. Just try to find <laughs> him. Confront him. Just try to Sam, we got to talk hands. or fight. Well, he's going to talk. Probably. He's going to fight. Really nice hair. He does have really nice hair. Sharp looking guy. He just hates basketball like I do. And that's okay. That's okay. But I think I think I think we're gonna end the podcast here before it goes down a dark <laughs> route about Sam Presti and the Thunder. Um, but hey, everybody, thank you for listening to the podcast. We're in a new year. Uh, we are gonna adventure into an off season in which we, like Stephen just said, join the Discord, recruiting news, portal news, coaching news. Uh, those things will happen. Uh, we'll have podcasts. We'll link up guests and reach out to other pl- uh, other other guys that you will definitely want to hear from. Go ahead and check out CrimsonCreamMachine.com every day. There's stuff that are is quality being posted. You can follow us on Twitter. Um, you can if you're on the YouTube uh, stream uh, or Twitter stream, whatever you can see it right here. Um, I, I'm Kamir Robbie and at Kamarabi and CCM. You can follow Steven at OUUpdateSB. You can follow CC Machine at CC Machine. You can follow Chisholm Holland at Chisholm Holland. Um, and thanks, guys, for supporting the podcast. And we'll check you guys later.